the truth in its art. Thank you for listening to these conversations at the intersection of arts, culture, and community. I am your host, Rob Lee. Today, I am delighted to have a conversation with a duo of DC-based entrepreneurs and creators of the enchanting series, The Bernice Books. It is an um, interesting journey that started with The Bernice and The Wonder of Pearl. That was the first book in this, this sort of three-part series that they're in. And they are now on the brink of releasing their second book of this series, Bernice and the Shadow Witch. Please welcome Brant Rika and Matt Miller. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Uh, see, I like how it was almost like synchronicity. You got you just just aligned. I like it. I like it. That's that's collaboration right there. I like that. I like that. And Zoom will just cut one of us off. So yeah, <laughs> I'm sure some folks are like, "Can it just cut Rob off so the two of you can just do your thing?" But um, you know, as we get started, at one again, I want to thank both of you for coming on, making the time, and you know, I'm glad we were able to chat a little bit before getting started in earnest. So you know. I, I want to go right into it. So we we have, um, you know, work that's coming up and I'm going to bury the lead, just the skosh there. But, you know, if you want to think back to sort of where the story begins from an entrepreneurial standpoint, from a literary standpoint, like, you know, set that stage for us a little bit there. I have a sub question in there about sort of books and things, but I at least want to start off there. So, Brant, if you will, could you, you know, start off? <clears throat> yeah. Um, also, uh, I'm losing my voice, so pardonnez-moi. Uh, but um, so this was kind of a. I have a writing background. I grew up. I was the editor of my high school newspaper. My family owns a newspaper. Um, I also freelance write in DC. Uh, so I kind of went through like a really, uh, you know, bad personal experience years ago and. During, a, I think, a lot of change, a lot of people typically kind of, uh, you know, refocus or kind of on what their goals are. So for me, I always tend, I have three sisters who all have kids. And for me, I always feel grounded after a long day of work watching Disney or something. So um, I was just exploring children's books and I took the Judy Bloom Masterclass right when Masterclass came out. And uh, the, I dream what I'm stressed out about. So that's kind of how this, you know, development started. And then the books kind of got put on the back burner. So I started a business the same year. So uh, owning an events and marketing agency, obviously uh, that kind of took my focus. But when the pandemic hit uh, and we were all forced to come to a halt, uh, Matt and I had collaborated professionally together on other projects. And he would draw renderings of events that I would plan um, so I called him and asked if he would draw the children's books. And, uh, he was like, you know, I've never drew, drawn children's books before. And I'm like, well, I've never written them before. <laughs> so this is fine. Um, and from that to now, which has been two years, uh, we have five books. So five books. And so this is, you know, like a pandemic, like, like not well, pandemic baby, I guess. Is that, is that the term we want to use? Yeah, I would say so. I'm honestly not sure if the pandemic hadn't have happened that I would have, you know, I think like a lot of people are just revisiting plans and being like, oh, what is off my checklist? I want to scratch off, even if nothing comes of it. Just I want to say I did it. Um, yeah, I think for me, I was I was yearning for some, you know, a change in 
just instead of sitting by my desk all day, also not having that much work going on because of the pandemic, this was kind of perfect timing when Brant called. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is a creative outlet that I've never tried before, at least not not in my adult life. So that was a cool, I think, just good timing for me, at least. So, yeah, I would say it came to life in the pandemic. Yeah, this is uh, that that was the period in which this podcast really kind of grew, you know, and, you know, coming up on 700 episodes in four years. And, you know, in that first like it started at the end of 2019, 20 episodes in that year. And, you know, so really <laughs> the majority of them happening over a few years. And it, it's one of those things where just getting folks, folks are occupied. And as you touched on, like revisiting things, you know, being able to have like, oh, why didn't I do that yet? Let me do that now. Or even the the thing where you, you have an interest in something you're trying to learn. I remember the beginning of it, everyone was like trying to make sourdough for some reason. I, I don't know why that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My sister is still doing that. <laughs> She's perfected it. <laughs> yeah. um, so so before I leave this sort of like first um, chunk, I'm, I want to get this other piece of it in there because I, I definitely have in like, you know, maybe a particular book or, you know, an author from like maybe your youth that like pops up. Like, was there some Dr. Seuss that was popping up? What was some of those really early, maybe formative stuff that showed up in kind of your approach to this series? Um, I mean, Matt and I always talk about this, about our, you know, a staple for me, at least, were the Amelia Bedelia books. Um, I know Matt, his was Madeline. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought about this the other day, the Peter Rabbit books. I don't know if you guys have ever, I mean, they're old, but we used to have like a whole stack in my parents' bookshelf. And I just remember the the illustrations were like little, you know, moments. They're not like a whole whole scene. So that's kind of like been inspired. That has inspired me to do some of the illustrations that I've done so far for the books. And Madeline, for sure, with the it's like watercolors, pen and ink and things like that, more hand-drawn looking. Yeah, mine was uh, definitely Miller Bedelia, but also a favorite was The Wizard of Oz also. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was really obsessed with that as a kid but um so i would say those are like my early on um i guess influences so to speak so we we have this stage set you know a bit for sort of the collaboration and definitely we're going to dive back into that skosh because uh you know i've done some work and i have some interviews with folks who talk about you know the sort of writer and artist collaboration and how those things come together so definitely um it's a key area um so Let's talk a bit about, you know, the Bernice book series and the, you know, sort of the themes that are coming in there. If there were, you know, three to four themes, if you were to say these are the key themes that that show up in the series and show up in sort of the work overall, what would those themes be? Oh, the deep question. <laughs> um, I would say definitely, um, you know, overcoming adversity, um, inclusion um <clears throat> self-exploration for sure and also i say it's a lot of philosophical tones in there um like i, I don't know if you agree matt but i feel like it's a lot of like life lessons and quips and stories and um but yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's like you're you're seeing the or you're you're viewing or reading the life of a nine 
through a nine-year-old girl's eyes um, and the things that, you know, that's kind of an age where kids are starting to discover that they're an individual and um, they're seeing the world around them and how they fit in and kind of exploring that, if that's a theme. <laughs> Exploration. So, you know, discovery, though, the, the, it's all in there. And yeah. No, that's that's great, and I think you know it. Yeah, you know, I, I was having this conversation earlier, literally twice today, about sort of communications through you know uh, different demographics, especially through creative mediums, and how you know you have like, yeah, we need to really go after this um, Gen Z community, and it's like it's an ever growing community. It's like twenty seven years in, but it's you know folks that are like way sort of like out of touch, and they're wondering why they don't really connect. And then it takes folks that I think that are closer in maybe our age group to really, we're not too far removed from what it was to maybe be a, you know, a young person or what have you. And like, what would I find interesting? Really being able to tap back into that and try to use that resource. And especially if you have, you know, I, I, have, a, I have a nephew, I have a niece and really being able to connect in that way as well. And I think that can impact the storytelling and maybe the, the, the themes and, and so on that are in there. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's, um, you know, Matt and I had a call actually today and I was just like, even writing them <clears throat> when we're super busy has been, it's kind of just therapeutic also. Um, cause we, I think we get so honed in on like adult stresses that, um, that, uh, there's that quote that is, um, you know, maybe my life isn't so chaotic. It's just the life isn't so chaotic. It's just the things that you get attached to are. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of the Neil McCauley line from Heat. <laughs> it's like, how could I just leave this thing with minimal notice? Uh, <laughs> trying to like not keep myself attached to it because you know, you 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 have folks, especially when you're doing something that's a creative endeavor and also having the sort of entrepreneurial rhythms being in both of those those areas, you get really invested in something that is it has to be it's supposed to be fun. You're, you're making a children's book, right? Or, you know, or this, I'm doing a podcast. I'm talking to very talented people and having like a conversation where I'm probably going to ask you your favorite pizza topping later. Those things are supposed to be fun versus feeling like those sort of stressors. And I'm one of the things I'm doing this semester, um, I'm teaching. I'm teaching like my first group of like high school kids how to podcast. The first time I've ever taught. Oh wow! And I'm like, this is wild. This is new, but also seeing when it clicks, I'm like, oh wow! I'm you. You actually res respect me. You value what I'm saying, and this is something. This doesn't feel stress inducing or what have you. It just feels like connecting back to the fun. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to go into this this sort of next question about like. And, and this is where I was kind of touching on with the collaboration. So, you know, I look at doing this series as a collaborative project. You know, there are interviews that are really good. There are interviews that are okay. And then there's some interviews that was like, all right, I mean, you sure don't want to re-record that one, bro? Um, and I think part of it is it depends on what, what sort of energy the person comes in with. So, you know, the two of you are collaborating. Talk a bit about sort of, you know, having those sort of, skill sets that are very complementary and sort of what that what it looks like to collaborate what it looks like to work together day to day and like how that partnership you know kind of influences the storytelling the writing the illustrations let's talk a bit about that um well i think it helped that you know matt and i both own creative uh businesses also um so i think that's kind of helped us with the books you know it's also a business at the end of the day but um you know, collaboratively speaking, I think it's 
I think it was our first book we did where Matt sent me like the illustration of the house and I text him and edit. And as soon as I text the edit, he had already sent me the edit. <laughs> like, um, also when I was, uh, I think it was last year, Matt and I actually were partners in a game of charades, wasn't it? And like, we like, when I was in Tampa, remember? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> and we really were like, we're killing the other team. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know. We, kind of in sync in that sense, the creative yeah. sense. I think it was like one of us just did this and then one goes elevator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we do definitely though. Brant, Brant is more, I, I think we just have different ways of approaching this creative and collaborating. So one of us is good at one thing, the other is good at the other. And like when we're laying out a story, um, we usually do it on like a big marker board or something. I'm usually thinking in terms of like the visuals because that's like, you know, yeah. what I'm doing for the book. And that's kind of how I see it when I'm reading. But Brant is coming up with storylines and I'm like, how are you like thinking of this right now? And I'm, I don't know. It's just, I think it works really well together that we're both good at different things. Yeah. Like I'm definitely more of the like whimsical, like philosophical, like, yeah. And Matt's more dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Brand well, keeps it children's themed. And if it was just me, I'd be turning into like crazy stories that kids wouldn't want to read because it's too scary. <laughs> but I think as we've gone throughout, like we're on book five, like it's they're getting a little bit more darker as they go because you're realizing, oh, kids today aren't so naive with some things. And so um it's getting a little bit darker. And I know I remember when I came we were coming up with this. Bernice and the Shadow Witch. Matt was like, "Oh, I love this because <laughs> it was dark." Um, and the the sixth book, which I'm starting to write now, like takes place in Halloween time. So it's like New Orleans, like the, all the history there. Like it's been really fun to kind of incorporate some New Orleans, you know, myths and tales into some of this uh, storylines. Thank you, and, that, and that's almost a almost a, a ham-fisted way to get the segue into this next question. With having the the South, the, you know, the American South as sort of the backdrop and the setting of the books, you know, it's 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 a character in itself. Um, you know, one of the things I was sharing before we got started, um, I, I was down there and I interviewed an author who has ties to Baltimore. So I was just like, oh, and we're talking about it. And I was like, so, bro, this place is haunted, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. So, you know, talk about sort of like having, you know, the story setting to the set in the South and really being sort of reflective of the South. And why was that an intent? Why was that part of the the, the story um, from a cultural and maybe historical lens? Um, I think because, you know, being from there, obviously, but I've always loved even stories set in New Orleans. So like, you know, the Mayfair witches, like Anne Rice, like Interview with the Vampire. Um, I know Matt's also obsessed with like the architecture there. And um, I think it's the only city really, I think, in the country that's kind of, it's, it's almost like its own state a little bit. It's very mixed with the cultures like deep history of like you know witchcraft voodoo vampires like ghosts <laughs> like every everything that goes bump in the night and i think new orleans uh, carries a a story for and every time i've gone there a lot of times i do those haunted tours um and you see like the 
what's it called? The place, the convent where like Anne Rice based the Lestat character off of, because they were myths of a Lestat living in the attic with the coffin. And um, I just, I just like the history of it. Like, so everything like Haunted Mansion just came out on Disney plus. Um, I watched that right away because it takes place in New Orleans. <laughs> um, uh, I, I watched it, I think, three times already. <laughs> so um, I, I think it's just fun stuff. And especially when you're writing fantasy, huh. it just creates an easy segue that like anything can happen in terms of your writing. Like nothing's too crazy. Yeah. And I think just obviously Brant wrote the book before he the first book before he, he came to me, but I've always, I don't know what it is. I don't know what, what is the reasoning? I grew up in Maryland, so I don't understand why I'm attached to this like antebellum and Victorian architecture style, but New Orleans has so much of it. And I felt like I would have been doing an injustice to New Orleans to not include some architecture, you know, in each of my, my illustrations for the book. And even in the dream worlds, I try to include at least part of it, um, but just with like a, you know, diff- a little twist. Yeah. I mean, that's that reference point. Um, so it, with the success of the first book, right, um, talk, talk a bit about sort of the recognition and sort of like, you know, maybe those reader responses like, that have kind of shaped or perhaps perhaps shaped the development and direction of sort of, you know, the works following it, the subsequent, like, you know, work following it. It's like, oh, you know, you touched on a bit, like, eh, we're getting a little darker. Um, so, so talk about maybe those responses and how, you know, it's maybe shaped a direction that you're, you're looking to go into or have gone into as, you know, we're recording this prior to the next book coming out. Um, yeah, I think, you know, with the first book, I think, one of the downfalls though also was that it was during a pandemic era. So we didn't have direct access to the reader, so to speak. So a lot of the feedback we were getting were from adults or actually other um, authors. So um, sorry, that was my dryer. (laughs) um, um, So other authors, so we had like Flora Bradley who writes middle school mystery. She's like an award-winning author. She reviewed the book. Um, so I was getting feedback from other authors and writers who give great advice of like, you know, your first book is like, you go back and you look at your first book and you're like, wow, I, what was I <laughs> writing? Um, I think that was when I realized, especially with Flora Bradley and reading her books also that, uh, you know, kids today, like you kind of forget the mentality of like a third grader because you're not a third grader anymore, but you forget that when we were in third grade, like we were pretty with it (laughs) like I knew a lot of stuff um so I think it enabled me especially like the Harry Potter books being like oh we can write darker and go darker and um I think also sorry I didn't mean to cut you off Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) well I was gonna say when we this is kind of like we so we did the first three Barris books that was like the, the first three books of this five book um series that we were talking about when we went to a school in Arlington to do like a little exercise in the library with like fourth, fifth graders. Yeah. Um, we actually came back a few months later to give them the newest book we'd done. And they were all really interested. This was when we had just had Barris books. So they were all interested in Barris's sister, Bernice. 
And I think that's when we were like, all right, we kind of had a feeling about Bernice taking the lead at some point with the books and just that the kids were interested in her. Um, I think that was like a big reason that that was good feedback, honestly, from our direct, from our, our actual readers, our audience that we want to be reading the book. Yeah. And I, I think the perk of writing a series too, is that you get really comfortable with the characters and you get more of like, Oh, dive into backstories and mm-hmm. you get comfortable like being sassy and sarcastic with them. And, um, yeah, but like Matt said, we walked into the library, not even planning to see these children again. We were just dropping the books off. And they just happened to be in the library when we went there. And they ran up to us and were like quoting the books. And I was like, I forgot I wrote that. <laughs> um, but they they referenced Bernice. They were like, Bernice wears all black just the color of her soul. Um, because that's what Barris had said about Bernice in the first series. Uh, so Bernice, I will say our, you know, we have a ghost editor who's actually Matt's mom, who's, um, a former editor and journalist. Um, so she actually has even said that she's loved Bernice so much. Um, so I feel like almost like the Barris books have been almost like a launching pad for what this bigger story is going to be. Yeah. I think Barris was... His personality was a little more generic, I guess. And Bernice had a little bit more edge, which I think is what that was just getting the feedback, even ourselves reading the book and then doing more about Bernice is kind of like that, that led us to have her take the lead. And yeah, now that I think about it, Matt, I'm like in that third Barris book, we don't even really focus on Barris. We focus on his best friend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we've done the story. The lesson is with Barris's best friend, Pavanya Wallendrop, and so, and her <laughs> mother. So they call her Pevy, but I'm like, she was. So we already kind of started shifting away from Barris. I think in the third Barris book, it was mm-hmm. going to his friend, and then we set up Bernice mm-hmm. at the end. So it's almost like the the sort of backdoor pilot. Let's let's lead into sort of this next arc on the trajectory. Um, and 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 one thing you know. Definitely, uh, I, I'll touch on and kind of getting those those points where you encounter someone that's and you know familiar with your work, and they're like, "You remember you said this in this episode?" I was like, "No, I don't." <laughs> what, am I expected to remember that? I was like, you know how many things I say in an episode, but um, but it is it is cool to get sort of that feedback, however it comes, whether it's through a review, whether it's through someone like stopping you in the street when you're trying to buy like bok choy or something, and well, in the market you don't buy bok choy from the street most of the time, but when you're trying to get your items and hey, love your podcast, hey, love your book, hey, love your work, that's a really cool feeling. Um, have have you like? either of you like really adjusted to sort of when, when, when folks are reaching out and they're like, Oh, I, I dig this about it. And you know, what is that feeling like? Cause I'm not comfortable with it yet, but what is that feeling like for the, for the two of you? Well, I think also like I've texted Matt this before because Matt also isn't in DC a lot. So, but remember Matt, I, I've been out socially and grown people are coming up to me, recognizing me about the books at that bar that one time I was there. Yeah. <laughs> but they recognize us also just from our in- the Bears Books Instagram. And so because of the reels we'll, we'll do or the media coverage we get. But um, I will say it's been it's it's very nice, obviously. But I'm, sometimes I'm like, how do you know about that? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we do get a lot of, or maybe I maybe it's both of us. But 
people will reach out on Instagram that I don't really even talk to or, or not that I don't like them. I just don't really know them. And they'll be like, oh, I just read this or picked this up, this Barris book or Bernice book, and I loved it. And it's just, I don't know, that just feels good. But it's also, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's I, To me, I'm like, it's, it's kind of crazy that it's not someone that I that I gave the book to, to read, you know? Yeah. 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 I forgot we, we have that. And like people are giving it to their kids and um, we, my aunt, when we were in New Orleans and Louisiana for the thing, my aunt who lives there, like distributed the books and merchandise basically all over Louisiana. Hmm. And, um, one of my cousins actually said she was at a baseball game and saw someone wearing a Barris books hat, um, which was very weird. <laughs> but um, uh, I say, I think it's almost like, how I would uh, approach my business a little bit. Like I know what goes on behind the scenes. So I don't have the same, like maybe awe factor that some other people would have. So if someone comes to my, one of my events and there's, you know, complimenting it galore. I'm like, Oh, is it like <laughs> nice? Cause I, cause just an hour ago, it was like a mess. <laughs> but, um, so I think it's almost like that because Matt and I are so behind the scenes with like, we know the process, like the editing, the the business side of it. And also just, I think we obviously love the story and the characters, but it's kind of, it's very, I will say, it feels nice, obviously, when other people uh, do the same. Knowing how the sausage is made. <laughs> exactly. So I got I got two uh, real questions left, and the next one definitely spotlighting Bernice and the Shadow Witch. Can you give us a glimpse? Can you give us just a taste, a skosh, um, leading into like what can folks expect? Sort of, you know, in in terms of the the storytelling. And I know we teased it a little bit as far as you know being a bit darker and such. But what can folks expect? And um, the, what'll be explored? Maybe surprises. What's what's in mind as far as giving a just just a taste, just a you know a little sprinkling. Um, well, you know, Bernice and the Shadow Witch comes out next Tuesday, um, and it's really starting to dive into uh, other characters like Nona Devereaux, the kooky neighbor who tells stories of witches and ghosts, and um, it's. The holidays in New Orleans, it's eerily cold with a lot of snowfall. And then uh, the Brooke book after that, which will conclude the Bernice books, is Bernice and the Broken Dream. And it takes place almost a year later, Halloween time, New Orleans. Um, really just diving into broken dreams, shadow witches, keepers of dreams. Um, and Matt's already wanting to kill me because I already have an idea for another spinoff after that. <laughs> um, so the, the books take place in 1950s. And so to have the next series take place 20 years later in the same tall greenhouse and it's Bernice's daughter. Nice. And to have it be the Bobby books. <laughs> so um, we'll see how it all goes. But yeah, it's been it's been a fun journey. Um, Bernice in the Shadow, which I think is my favorite so far. Yeah. I agree. I think we say that about everyone that we do, the new, every new one that we do, but I definitely, this one, I would say is the best overall. And it also, this time we kind of in, incorporated a cliffhanger, which I guess I think every other story we had, it's like a beginning and an end. And then there's the next story. This one is kind of leading into a continuation of that story. Yeah, it's kind of like the cliffhanger of each book has its own problem, but there's an overall issue that expands over all of them. So the cliffhanger in book five is almost, it's closer to the answer of the overall 
issue, which is Gracie, who's the narrator of the book, she's a keeper, which means she monitors children's dreams while they sleep. And um, her grandmother, Lucy, has been lost in a broken dream forever. And so it's um, this book five ends with almost like a semi answer to what's happened to her. I mean, cliffhangers. I mean, come on. Let's let's go. Let's go. All right. Yeah, I mean, you have to buy the next book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I, when I think of the collaborative thing that, you know, I'm doing, I write a comic with my, my partner and it's sort of that I'm like big picture guy and she's all whimsy. I mean, I six, four, like 300 pounds, huge black dude. She is five, two pink hair. It's, it's a juxtaposition. And when you go to like small press expo or any of these cons, they're like, is she cosplaying? I was like, no, that's what she looks like in her day jobs. But um, definitely being able to bounce off of each other and thinking through sort of, all right, what fits? So when we were doing this this comic, I have all of these references to like 90s action thrillers in there. And she said, how can we make it cute though? How can we make it about friends? La, 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 la. That's her sort of energy that curbs the direction I'm going with this thing that is about cat attorneys. So this sort of John Greshaming of it all or Brian De Palmer of it all doesn't quite work with cat lawyers that are like, I'm going to be late because I'm really washing myself before going to court. So, yeah, I, I don't know. But um, this is the last last question I'll, I'll throw out there um, before I get to those rapid fire questions. Um, and, and this kind of touches on the collaboration thing and just, you know, sort of the the, the journey and the arc here. What advice would you would you share with aspiring authors, entrepreneurs, illustrators, you know, collaborators that, you know, to if they're saying, look, I want to make something like you're doing, I, I'm very inspired by how you go about your work and sort of the output. What is that like sort of one piece of advice that you would want to pay forward? Um, so Matt and I actually talk about this a lot. So we get it's I think since we started this, it's like people come out of the woodwork of like wanting to write a book or do whatever and um I, I always tell them like there's no guidebook to this like Matt and I didn't know what we were doing and we're still figuring it out um we've been very fortunate with the success we have we've had in the coverage we've had um but a friend someone I know is actually wanting to write also fantasy and he's been struggling with this story for over a year and so finally I I, I kind of got a little I, slightly annoyed that he kept coming up to me like oh I'm still struggling I'm like you're obviously not writing about anything that you love if you're still struggling about this and he was like I never thought about that <laughs> I was like yes yeah uh, so yeah I think it's the same problem with Matt with uh, illustrations yeah I mean I would I would say if it's not a hobby you should be treating it like one um and carve out time even if you're just if I guess the way I think of it is if I'm like swamped with work and I know I have to do these illustrations, I just think of it as like, oh, just it's like an activity to do, um, carve out time and make it a routine in your week or something. Um, because I think that's just like the best way to actually commit to it and yeah, take it from there. I can't <laughs> too. It's like a creative outlet for me. I think this is obviously the same for you, Brant. And it's a good way to distract yourself from the rest of the real world. Yeah, and I actually had a successful um, children's book author also give me advice when I first started. And she just said, enjoy this time now when you're not beholden to 
like for example when the books make it bigger to not be beholden to a lot of other people um so to enjoy this time and let your creativity flow because i think it was elizabeth gilbert who wrote you pray love and she said you know never give your writing the or their books the stress of paying your bills mm, that's and good so, um, so she, cause she says, you know, I'll hear someone who writes a screenplay and they quit their job. <laughs> She's like, um, cause they're hoping to sell the screenplay. So, you know, Matt and I have been doing this for a couple of years. We're actually talking to, with production companies also about adapting them maybe. Yeah. And they even tell us the same advice. They're like, people don't realize from the time something's on screen to then it's like years of development. And so I think it's about just being also content with the process. Yeah. And I think entrepreneurship has taught us both that just being content with the process and not being so overwhelmed by the big picture that details of the success basically. Yeah, that that's, that's really good advice. And I think it's something to really, you know, tap back in on, you know, I think we were touching on it a little bit earlier too, when it comes to sort of just something like feeling like it's the, not the fun stuff. It feels like it's the work stuff. And you know, any of those opportunities where, you know, someone is like, oh, I really like this or, you know, I'm getting sort of some level of prestige. I always have to like look back. I don't keep a file. I don't keep a dump file of like all of my bad episodes, all of my mishaps. But, you know, just being aware of that, being aware of like, all right, never get too high, never get too low. And also thinking about sort of the the process. And, you know, this podcast is four years old, essentially, but I've been a podcaster for 15 years. So it's sort of like there were 10 years before people started noticing and caring for me to be an overnight success. So it's really being mindful of that and, and knowing that in any, I think, creative endeavor and, you know, treating it that way and definitely having the entrepreneurial mindset. Like I have a business degree and I apply that same sort of idea behind it of, all right, we, we got to really have this like sort of sorted out and, and you're a small team you know, duo, you might have a, you know, freelancer here or someone supporting you in this other way. It's still like, you want to be mindful of folks time, you know, the energy and the effort that's being put in and the resources. So yeah, so it's all important stuff. Um, so now that the real stuff is kind of out of the way, it's time for the rapid fire questions. And um, as I always tell people, do not overthink these. These are just, you know, Whatever, you know, what I said is what I said. That's the way we're kind of going about these. All right. So here is the first one. If your universe, the, you know, the the Barras, the Bernice, the universe, if that could cross over with another universe, what universe would it be? Like, if there's another children's book universe that pops up, like, hey, my character's in this world, or having their characters in my world, which sort of crossover would, you know, would be interesting to you? Um, Anna Rice is the Mayfair Witches. I was waiting for that. Big space in New Orleans. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the king of overthinking. You can't ask me not to overthink. Yeah, before this podcast, Matt was like, I'm going to study the questions. I, like, <laughs> <laughs> I would do like, a, so, I don't know. I'm, I, I can't think of a specific story. I just think like something in like, the first thing that came to mind was Mars. I don't know why, but I, I love outer space and <laughs> I like that kind of sci-fi. He just goes to Mars. Mars. Kind of cool. You know, like a 50s take on like what did kids think space was like, you know? Yeah. Dream world like that. 
and little little, little Philip Date, Philip K. Dick like sort of like connection there. Get real yeah. deep, deep nerve. I just lost interest in that crossover series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let, let me hit you with the next one. Let me hit you with the next one. Um, is, is there? I'm always interested in food, so I'll just have that context there. But you know, is there a particular ritual or sort of a favorite snack that is definitely a part of the creative process? For me, it's cashews. Whenever I'm recording, it's either I have coffee with me or like a handful of cashews. It just makes the situation run better. I know it's a lot of fat in cashews, so that's brain energy. And the caffeine, obviously, is caffeine. So what what are parts of that process that are maybe rituals or maybe like food related that really you, you see showing up within your creative process? Um, I would say I don't have any food actually ever involved in my creative processes. I My accessory, I guess, would be I listen to scores of movies. Um, and so whatever vibe I'm going for in the, the chapter I'm writing, I'll set the tone with like the score from Edward Scissorhands or Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium or whatever to feel that vibe with the writing. I'm the same way. I, I mean, I always have coffee. I literally have my iced coffee almost gone. It's probably like my fourth cup today, mm-hmm. but, um, and also, uh, not so much movie scores, but. Um, I like Max Richter and Nicholas Bertel, like the succession theme songs and and like those kind of things. Those the music that goes along with like TV series or or movies. Um, yeah, I I always listen to like with the Halloween book or the Christmas book. Where it's a shower, I was listening to Ella Fitzgerald's Christmas album or writing it because it takes place in the fifties, and I was trying to get into that mindset. I can't do words in songs. It's got to be. It's got to be like instrumental, you know. I don't know why. I think the words distract me. <laughs> I'm a multitasker, ladies and gentlemen. But <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that. Um, I, uh, I I recently did this. Um, I do movie reviews outside of this podcast, and uh, I got on this arc where I was revisiting um, like RoboCop from you know '87, and. I'm just playing the theme on loop. And I'm like, this is becoming a problem. I need to like really get this earworm out of there. Like, I just thinking I'm, you know, here to serve and protect old Detroit and I'm in Baltimore. So that's just not going to work. Uh, so <laughs> I think about the Spotify, you know, at the end of the year where they do the Spotify, they tell right. you your top artists. I think mine last year was like Max Richter or like a, a composer. <laughs> And like your top song was some random song that it's like, I'm not going to share this because no one's going to know what the hell this is. <laughs> but yeah. I listen to it a lot. Yeah. When I'm really trying to get into the, to the zone, cause I, I, I'm an IT person during the day and it's just like classical music. It's just classical mm-hmm. music going, no lyrics, Paganini, let's go. Let's just, you know, doubles violinist. Let's make it happen. Um, so I got two left. Uh, this one is specifically for you, Brent. Uh, Favorite Disney show? Oh, God. show or movie? I'm gonna go show because I'm a fellow Disney person. Like whenever there's a weird day or a bad day, I tune in to like Phineas and Ferb or something like that, and I just feel a lot better. So I don't watch any Disney shows currently, but um, oh, or movie. You know, let's go with movie. I would say, uh, so my partner Chase, I, Matt knows this, so is yelling at me because I will watch Hocus Pocus 2 to death. Not um, long. <laughs> um, I would say that's one of my favorite Disney movies probably is Hocus Pocus 2 or I also like a lot of the uh, Pixar stuff. Nice. 
Do you have one, Matt? I didn't want to leave you out. I just thought about it. I didn't want to believe you. Yeah, no, no. Well, Fairly Odd Parents. Do you ever? That was Nickelodeon. That wasn't That's Nickelodeon. Disney. We're, um, <laughs> but still, I love that show. That show. I mean, I, I don't even know if it's on anymore. But that show, they always had like the dark humor or adult humor kind of mixed in to the point where kids wouldn't know. But right. if you watch this as an adult now, you're like, oh, I know what they were doing. Well, I just started watching rewatching Are You Afraid of the Dark from when we were kids. And it still holds up <laughs> to this day. All right. So here's here's the last one. And I may have teased it earlier, you know, for, for those who were who were listening, paying attention here. Uh, favorite pizza topping? Pepperoni. I'm a classic type of person. Okay. Extra cheese. <laughs> See, I can hang out with the two of you. That's as, you know, if, if one of you would have said mushrooms, I'm like, okay, we're in the same group. Like, what are we doing here? But no, that all of those, those work. I mean, I'm like a nice thin crust with some good pepperoni. Oh, yeah. And I know this isn't a popular one, but Frank's Red Hot Sauce. I put it on all, anytime, anytime I have pizza, I always put it on the pizza. <laughs> there, there's a saying that goes to Frank's Red Hot as well. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's pretty much it. And with the, the sort of red hot, you're off the hot seat, as it were. Um, and I want to, one, um, thank both of you for coming on, making some time to chat it up with me and share your journey and, the, you know, about the book and what's coming forth. And in these final moments, I want to give both of you the space to you know, do sort of those final pitches, those sort of final, you know, uh, thoughts on, um, you, you know, the, the the book and what's next and sort of signing off. So um, if you will, the floor is yours. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it can be found um, online where books are sold. So the next book will be out November 14th. Uh, our next book, we're thinking fall next year. Um, you know, we're online on social media at Barris Books. That's where Barris and Bernice live. And uh, also www.thebarrisbooks.com. And hopefully you'll be seeing us in the movies very soon. <laughs> so. I like that. Yeah, I second that. And like going back what we said before, every book gets better. So this one's going to be great, the one coming out on Tuesday. But just wait for the one next fall. Wait till those broken dreams start happening. Yeah. See, I like I like the teaser. I like that. It's just like, no, no, this is this is gonna be on fire. This is gonna be good. This is the best thing we did, but also just wait. Nona Devereaux in this book was, you know, tipsy on eggnog giving away secrets. So <laughs> just stay tuned for next book when she tells some more stories about witches. There you have it, folks. I want to again thank Brant Rika and Matt Miller from uh, Barris Books um, discussing Bernice and the Shadow Witch on The Truth in His Heart. And for Brant, for Matt, I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, and community in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. Music.